Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening to the program. Wish you a very happy New Year and thank you for allowing us to be in your home this evening. It has been a couple of weeks since we were in the studio live, so we've got a couple of questions to, that have come in that we're going to start out tonight's episode with before we get into material. But again, we are here to answer your questions. So go ahead and send in your questions early on in the program here so that we have a chance to address it from a biblical worldview. Pastor, it's been a little bit since we talked about this. It's a new year. So what is a biblical worldview and why is it important that we have it? Well, the biblical worldview has to do with uh, one's uh, view of life in terms of how you um, evaluate life and how you, what perspective you have on life. Um, for example, a biblical worldview would, imbue, uh, would include such ideas that there's a creator, that man is made in the image of God, uh, that man is, has a fallen nature, uh, that Christ came to redeem us, that man needs to repent, uh, that there's a day of judgment, uh, there's a place called heaven that is called hell. In other words, the perspective by which you view life, that life has meaning, life has purpose, uh, because we were created, that's a biblical worldview. In contrast to the biblical worldview, you have a secular worldview, which be, would be that this world uh, was created by chance uh, through the evolutionary process. There's no real purpose, there's no real meaning, there's no real destiny. And, and you can see how that perspective on life can change how a person lives. If I think I'm here by chance and there's no reason, there's no purpose why I'm here, I just had it here by accident, I'm just a concoction of atoms that just came to randomly came together and created me, uh, there's no real purpose for living. Where am I going? Where am I headed? What's my goal? Uh, there's no there's no answer to those basic fundamental. I remember the four basic fundamental questions everybody must answer. Who am I? where I came from, how I got here, and where I'm going. Those are key fundamental questions that govern our lives. If we can't answer those four basic fundamental questions, we're lost, and we don't know where we're going. And that's where biblical philosophy of life uh, puts uh, perspective, and it enables you, therefore, to live rationally, and it gives you a purpose and a meaning, and it helps to direct uh, how you conduct yourself. Is it possible for a Christian to not have a Christian worldview? Well, I I don't think a true born-again believer uh, is possible not to have a biblical worldview. And let me put it this way, Nathan. 
we must remember that uh, being born again is something supernatural. We become a new creature in Christ. We must remember that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. We remember also that we are given the Word. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to form or reshape our minds or think and renew our minds. You might have an early believer who has come to faith, who has been so secularized that it takes a while before he gets a full perspective on the biblical worldview. But that cannot continue indefinitely because the Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify us. And how does he do that? Through the Word. But when you have people who say they profess Christian and are living for years and they don't have any perspective on life, don't have a biblical review, I think those type of people need to do what Paul told Timothy. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And don't go through life not knowing your calling. He warned Timothy. Like Paul warned Timothy, who was his protege, how can we be so lackadaisical in not trying to evaluate our condition before God as in respect to where we stand spiritually? And that's why we've got to be very careful. I know that I don't want to seem that I'm negative all the time and condemnatory, but we're dealing with a life uh, destiny, and we can't play with that. And because a person said, well, I, I made a decision or I did this, there are countless people who make decisions who it's not real. They don't know what they've done. They've never had any real change in their life. They just go on. That has to stop. And we have to start examining ourselves using the biblical bi- the Bible as a standard by which we evaluate what is our standing before God, what's our position before Him. Are we truly saved? Are we lost? Are we fooling ourselves? Are we deceiving ourselves? We've got to be bold enough to face those issues and not bury our heads in the sand hoping that somehow everything will turn out to be okay in the morning. It may not turn out to be okay. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Before we jump into the question, I want to take (coughs) one more step backwards in our discussion here. You talked about a Christian worldview. You referenced making sure that you are a Christian. What does that mean? There are so many different definitions out there, but what does the Bible say about being a Christian? The Bible is very, very clear on this whole matter. Um, And I think that the church, a modern church, has helped to distort what the Bible teaches in this matter by adding uh, appendages to it. Um, they tell you you've got to join the church, they tell you you've got to get confirmed, you've got to get baptized. Uh, a lot of these are the things that added to, to this whole matter. Salvation is very simple. Salvation involves two things, basically. It has to do with repentance of my sins and putting my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, the church facilitates that because the church is a messenger of of, of what God has done. But the church itself uh, cannot save anybody. It's Christ that saves. And after a believer is saved, the person joins the church, and the church helps to edify and build up that person. So to be saved, basically, is a matter of coming under the conviction that you are sinful before God, that you have a fallen nature, that you offended God by how you live and and things that you did, thought, word, and deed, and that you needed forgiveness, and you turn to God in repentance for forgiveness. And then when that happens, you also must realize that the only answer to forgiveness is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So you must believe that Christ died for your sin, not just for my sin and the sins of the whole, but for your sin. He's not just the Savior of the world. He's your Savior. And you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That is, in the essence, what salvation. Paul says to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Peter said to those people, repent and accept the gospel. And that's a simple message that we have 
uh, to give to people. Repent for your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me just make one other comment, Nathan. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for your sin. Repentance has to do with a change of mind towards your sin. So when you come to God to ask Him for forgiveness, it's not with the idea, well, I'm going to ask God to forgive me today, but tomorrow I can go back and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. That kind of a mindset uh, really doesn't understand what biblical repentance It's a turning around from your lifestyle. It's a, a conscious choice that you're not going to travel the same road you're going, uh, pursue the same things you're pursuing. You're willing to turn your life around now to see what God's will is for your life. If you don't have that kind of intention, you don't have true repentance. And that's why I say that we have a lot of people in our churches who have received Jesus but never repented. Their life has not changed. They continue doing the same thing. The same old sins that held them before they got saved is the same old sins that hold them today. And that's why you keep me hear me saying on, on the radio, I've said this several times, there's no such thing as a Christian homosexual or a, ho- a Christian lesbian. Those creatures don't exist. Now, a person can come out of homosexuality, come out of lesbian, and be a Christian. But to be continuously practicing that uh, and, uh, and not turning away from it says one thing, you haven't repented. That's the key, repentance. And we've got to get people back to the, those two biblical principles, repentance and faith in the work that Christ did on the cross. What about a continual adulterer? Well, a, 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 a continual adulterer falls into the same line. Remember what the book of James, uh, John says? He that is born of God does not habitually practice sin. That's what it is in the Greek language. It says he that is born does not sin, but in the Greek language it's a linear tense, the, 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 the present tense. It's not it, lifestyle. That's not your lifestyle. See. What about if it's just a benign sin like lying? It's not sexual sin. It's just a sin of the tongue. As far as I'm concerned, it has to do with all sin. Okay. The practice of, of, of sin. And uh, none of us should get to the point where uh, a sinful behavior that we know the Bible says is sin becomes normalized, and that's how we are, and uh, that's the way we were made, and, you know, maybe it's running up my genes. No. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer, and the whole purpose why the Holy Spirit there is to create holiness within us, a desire to be like God, a desire to be holy. So it should be in every single believer a passion for holiness and a hostile dislike for any habitual sin that we have. Now, that doesn't mean, Nathan, that we're perfect. None of us are perfect. Right. We know that. But it has to do with the, the inclination and the direction in which a person's life is going and how they're thinking. It must be that I am in the pursuit of holiness. I, I might be doing something wrong, but I hate doing it. Mm. It, 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 uh, it bothers me. My conscience bothers me. That's the indication that you have the Spirit within you and the Word of God is guiding you. But when a person can recklessly, without any thought, continue living a certain lifestyle, it doesn't bother them whatsoever. It is said two things. The conscience must be dead, and the Holy Spirit must be silent. And if I reach that condition in life, it should cause me grave concern, mm. because everybody knows that when you become a Christian, that you discover for the first time what warfare is in terms of wanting to do something, because the Holy Spirit makes you feel uneasy about what you used to do, and it bothers you. Every single Christian knows there's a war going on on the inside, where the Spirit is pulling us in the direction of holiness, the flesh is pulling us in the other direction, and there's a warfare in there. That is the experience that is common to all Christians. And it's also common, by the way, in Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul talks about the same struggle he had uh, with the flesh and with the spirit. All believers have that. But the idea that I can just live a reckless life, nothing bothers me, I can just go on living an ungodly life, on and on and on and on and on, and nothing happens. Now, the other thing, Nathan, is this. 
if a believer continues to live a certain ungodly way, there has to be divine chastening. Hebrews. Yeah, Hebrews tells us that God will chasten his children. If I am not getting chastening, the Bible says it's one thing. I'm a bastard. So I'm what do you mean by chastening? Because that's not necessarily a word you hear <coughs> on the street here in Antigua every day. Well, uh, chastening has to do with God dealing with me uh, in some way, severity. It might be a sickness. Okay. It might be I might lose my job. It might mean that I go through depression. Uh, in other words, these are th- these are ways and means that God do, He's trying to pull you back. So whatever it takes to pull you back in the righteous way. And um, again, look at David uh, when he committed uh, sin with Bathsheba. It affected David. Read Psalm chapter uh, fifty mm-hmm. and see how it, um, how it bothered David. You, he, he's, he's so troubled. He said, "Take not your Holy Spirit from me," mm-hmm. and he's grieved. That kind of uh, a person who is constantly sad, constantly depressed, uh, constantly in a, a, a low mood, uh, things are beginning to happen. Families begin to break down. He becomes aware that this is not something just ordinary. He becomes aware that this is God's chastening. You know, the, the car breaks down. It's not only the car now. You've got to get this repaired. The next thing repaired. Suddenly, you have $5,000 in the bank, and it's all gone. So suddenly. When did that happen? Right? You begin to take it. Now, this is God chastening. You become aware of it, but there has to be divine chastening in the process. You're listening to That's Truth. If you have a question about what it means to be a Christian or you would like some additional counsel, you can visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua on Rowan Henry Street. Uh, This is Christian school, a primary school, right there on the same campus. If you're driving down Roan Henry Street, you can't miss it. A green and yellowish building. And we have services on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and then on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can also give us a call here at the Radio Lighthouse, and one of our team members here at the Lighthouse would be glad to answer any questions about what it means to be a Christian and to uh, walk you through some Scripture verses one-on-one. You can call 268-462-1454 for that. Yeah, Nathan, you might also mention that we have the Sunday School for Children on Sunday evenings at 4 to 6. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that would be like primary age? Yeah, that would be like from uh, up to about uh, 12 years old. Okay. Below up to about 12 years old. And then also youth meeting. On Friday. On Friday evenings for the older young people. Again, the name of the program is That's Truth. If you have a question, you can call in and ask it, 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. We've got a couple of questions that we're going to start the program with. First one comes in from Antigua. Uh, Pastor, thank you for the program. Can you please explain Luke 17.37 and that verse says and they answered and said unto him where lord and he said unto them wheresoever the body is thither will the eagles be gathered together yeah now that particular um verse basically you've got to look at in the context of that particular passage and if you uh, look at it very carefully he's talking about the end time and the signs of the end time and the son of man coming and um, days of noah days of lot etc etc so it's in the context of that that our lords they, they want to know but lord when is this going to happen 
and he makes this statement in uh, Luke chapter uh, 17. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 24, verse 28, that is identical to this, but it helps us to understand what he's saying. Could you read that? Matthew 24, 28 says, For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Same basic e- expression. Wherever you find corruption, you'll find vultures, you'll find the, the eagles, basically. Now, it's interesting that this seemed to be a um, um, a word that was used to express uh, something that Job said. It's a paraphrase of what Job said. If you look at Job chapter 39, verse 27 to 30. Job thirty nine twenty seven to 30 says, Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock and the strong place. Verse 30, 29 says, From thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is she. See, see, where the slain are, there the eagle. So this became a proverbial expression that wherever there is corruption, judgment comes. So you know where judgment is going to come because find where the corruption is because God is going to judge. <coughs> now, in the, in the passage that we have in Luke 17 and also the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 24, as I mentioned, the Lord is talking about the end times and the signs of the end times and uh, what's going to happen. And they want to know, Lord, when is this going to happen? And he quotes this particular proverb that wherever you find the carcass, there you're going to find the the uh, the eagle. And basically what he's saying, look, if you see one eagle flying around, it doesn't mean there's anything really eagle. But if you find a lot of eagles circling, you know that there's something there. And basically what he's saying, you know, the signs that I give you, there's it, not just one sign, but when the convergence of the signs that I've given to you begin to happen, then you know this is the particular time that the judgment is coming upon God. So don't look for one sign, but the, the convergence of all these signs I've given to you uh, becomes a way that you will know when is the exact time that this is going to happen. So that's exactly what, what he's talking about here. Um, the suggested the eagle circles over its prayer. When you begin to see all these signs, you know this is where God's judgment is going to come in the end time. So that's why he gave all those signs before that they would know when you see these signs, you know that the Son of Man is about to come. Uh, thank you very much to the individual who sent in that question in relation to that verse. I can't say that that's a verse that I had caught my attention before. And I know there were many others who benefited from your question. Pastor, we have Brother Williams calling from Antigua. Brother Williams, Happy New Year, and thank you for calling. What can we do for you tonight? Thank you, thank you, Brother Pastor Murphy and Brother Nathan. Happy New Year. Same to you, sir. Yeah. Uh, Brother Murphy, two questions. Uh-huh. Uh, what is that? Blasphemy. What's that? Christian, I'm a professing Christian. Uh-huh. How can you blaspheme? Can you, can you blaspheme against God? Blaspheme? Yeah. Well, to blaspheme against God is to speak against God. Um, I, I, can, I don't know what, le- what level you're talking about. You can't blaspheme to the point where you uh, like blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Um, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is seeing 
um, the work of God, the Holy Spirit is working, and then you turn around and say, that's not the work of the Spirit, that's the work of the devil. Now, people got to be very, very careful about that, especially when you see certain preachers, temptations say that that person is the devil. Uh, you got to make sure you, you're actually saying what you're saying. What if the Lord is mm-hmm. using that person? And, uh, you know, unless that person is contradicting Scripture, and going against uh, scripture, then you can make that kind of a statement. So we got to be very careful. It's not our uh, our zeal for our denomination, our zeal for a group that we condemn everybody else because they don't do it. Say what we do. We got to be very careful. But um, why, yes, why go. Are you really, sorry. What? Why I ask that is that I have, I have a friend uh-huh. that everything he do and something go wrong. He called Jesus' name and rebuked the devil and said that everything, every little thing, and he's pull at nogging and a fish in music and any little thing I said, any brother, that's not what the Bible talk about, you know. Uh-huh. He said, oh, you have, you have Jesus in his stomach, so you have to call the name and Jesus says, say the word. But Bishop, what pastor, to me, I see that that's for me. Yeah, well, look, all I would say to you in the connection with that guy, um, you got to work with a person like that. You know, look, there's so many people who are uh, allowing the internet. And it's so much available social media. You could almost get all kind of crazy stuff today, especially religion. I mean, it, it is just out there. And uh, so depending on your friend and not be sure where he's getting information from, I would suggest to you that be a little bit patient with him. And if not, if not take him to the scriptures uh, and try to guide him in that, that matter. Don't just write him off because he might be just parroting and repeating what he heard on, on television, I heard on the internet, or somebody else has said, just be very patient and quote scripture uh, to help him in that regard. But there are a lot of people who are very, very, very deceived, especially when it comes to uh, miracles and signs and wonders and so on and so forth. I watched a, a video recently with Benny Hinn. I don't think there's a more deceived man than Benny Hinn. I don't think there's anybody who deceived more people than Benny Hinn. Uh, and yet he said that he repented of his sins. And my, my thing to him is he repented of his sins. Give back all the money you got from the people when you were making all these kind of crazy statements. But he's now claiming to be more orthodox. But I saw a video of him with healing and the deception of it. I could not believe anyone could stand in the pulpit and um, do the things that he did. Um, and still be a safe person. I mean, I'm just telling you how I felt about it. The deception was so gross and so willful, uh, it told me that he was more mercenary than he was sincere. And I'm saying that um, broken that uh, any person who could claim Christianity could deceive people like he did. So there's a lot of things that's going on. You just got to be a little bit patient with people sometimes because they're not coming from where you are. You might be grounded in the Word for a number of years, and uh, you don't know what's going on in their life. But clearly, if they're saying something wrong and they're Christian, you should be able to say, Brother, let's go to the Word and let's see if what you're saying is a proper thing to do. And uh, out of that person's response, you'll get an idea of where that person is spiritually. But some people need help, brother. This is a day of total, massive confusion and deception. And uh, we got our job cut out for us. We love people. We want to help people. But the worst thing you can do is to be silent when somebody's doing wrong. The greatest thing you could ever do to somebody is to tell them the truth, even though it's painful and hurtful. Uh, so... Do what you can and, and try to help uh, as much as you can until you reach the point when you realize that this person is genuinely not a Christian. Then you take another position. But if he's immature and been misinformed, uh, sometimes we've got to be a little bit patient in dealing with people like that to try to salvage them and try to help them. And, and you have a question, Pastor. Uh, yes. For 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, I see you talking about first fruits, first fruit in every income, uh-huh. in, every, in every first month of the year. How, 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 how do you take on that? Let me just read that verse, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Yeah, look, if you are uh, convicted that that particular word had a reference to you, and uh, if you are, I know people, for example, like my wife, if she plants like tomatoes, the, she would give those tomatoes to somebody, uh, like a first fruit. It's, it, in other words, it's like giving to the Lord by giving to somebody. Um, because there's no way now that she can take the, the tomatoes and put them in the church and say the first fruit for the Lord. So I, I would think like um, there's nothing wrong in honoring the Lord in that regard if you're convinced this is what you should do as a person. But remember that when that verse is written, you live in an agrarian society where people planted, with people basically with crops and stuff like that. And one of the ways that people honored God was that they would take some of the fruit and make it available to the, to the temple or make it available to the poor. And, you know, if you want to do that, I see nothing wrong with that, quite frankly. Um, so, but again, a lot of these things where you have an issue and you're not too sure about it, the, the thing here where it's, a, it's not a, a command it's just a principle, and you feel that it relates to you. Well, if go by your conscience. Your conscience has to guide you in a lot of things in the Christian faith. There are a lot of things the Bible doesn't explicitly say you must do. And let your conscience guide you in this. Pray and ask the Lord, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Uh, guide me in this matter, show me, etc., etc. And personalize your Christian life in those regards. But don't just uh, depend on somebody always to um, tell you that this is what you must do. There, we must be guided by the Holy Spirit and our conscience and the Word of God. And I think that helps us a little bit with that matter. But I see nothing wrong in a person who wants to do something of that nature. Um, you know, if they want to do it, let them do it. But to try to impose it on me, that's where you have the problem. we got to allow for Christian liberty and allow the Holy Spirit to guide people. Uh, in, in, as long as that guidance is not contrary to Scripture, let the Holy Spirit guide people in, in, in personal matters of that nature. I don't know if that helps you. Yeah, yeah, you know, same thing, same thing, but what I'm talking about every time you pass on to about, oh, take envelope and your first... Well, look, no, no, you got to be very careful. The church has got to be very, very careful. Look, I've been in our church now for, what, 22 years. I have purposely not really dealt with, like, um, giving. Um, it might be a fault of mine, but I'm always worried the day I begin to deal with talking about giving to the church, somebody who's visiting turns up. And all they're saying is that the, that's all pastors talk about. Because every church they're going to, it's the same thing, right? And I, I, I trust our people, and I haven't had a problem with our people uh, giving to the Lord. Uh, but I am a little bit concerned that when people come into church on Sunday morning, that all they get to hear is this ranting about giving, 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 and first fruit and first fruit and sowing seed and so on and so forth. People are pretty much turned off by that these days. It's becoming, the church has become too mercenary. Everything is money, 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 money. And when people begin to see that that is the emphasis, they lose interest in the Lord's work. And I think pastors got to be very, very careful in that regard. There's nothing wrong in preaching on tithes and preaching on these kind of things once in a while. But it should not be a standard fear every Sunday morning or every time they turn to the church. It's the same thing again and again and again. It shows you where the emphasis is. And that should be a, a red flag. 
that this ministry has become too mercenary, too much emphasis on money, 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 and it may be time to leave a church like that or find another church that uh, takes a more spiritual outlook on the, on, on the, on the Christian faith. Amen. You're welcome, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Say hi to the wife, please. Thank you very much for the call, Brother Williams. And if you have a question, you can call. The phone line is now open and available. You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I want to call and be put live on the air, but I don't want to be embarrassed. Listen, it's a safe place. We're not here to belittle you, argue with you. We're here to hear your question, hear your concerns, and then Pastor will answer it from a biblical worldview. You can send in your question via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know what, I have this question but surely I'm the only one that has this question. No, I can almost guarantee if you have the question, there are many others that have thought about the question. Maybe they don't have the question right now, but someone at their workplace may ask them that question later this week, later this month, later this year. And by you asking the question, allowing Pastor Murphy to answer it, all of us that are listening then have a biblical answer for when someone asks us that question in the secular workplace later on this year. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.01. No matter how you're joining us, whether it's 11.60 a.m., 92.3 f.m., online at our website, radiolighthouse.org, or whether you're on Facebook, We are glad that you are joining us for this episode of That's Truth, and we look forward to your interaction. If you are listening to the podcast or the rebroadcast of this on Saturday afternoon, you can still send in your question via WhatsApp or text message. The next time we have a live episode, Pastor Murphy will answer your question. Again, that number for WhatsApp or text is 268-782-1454. We have a question that is coming from Anguilla. Pastor, what about the situation where you know that you are living in... Let me start that over. Pastor, what about a situation (coughs) where you know that living a certain way is a sin, but yet you continue to live that way and you get sick? But then you are still asking the Lord for healing when you know your body is sick because of how you are living. Is that correct? Is that how healing works? Well, clearly the person who thinks that way is deluding themselves. Uh, That is like me going to the top of the temple and throwing myself down and saying the Lord will bear me up as I hit my foot against the the, the stone. Our Lord used that example. Remember the devil took him up to the mountain. The Lord can do miracles, so why you don't go up there and just display yourself and just throw yourself down and let the angels bear you up, etc., etc. And Jesus said, you must not tempt the Lord thy God. And a person who is deliberately practicing sin and believe that if they get sick, they can then turn to the Lord for healing is self-deluded, totally self-deluded, and they are misled. They are what I call practicing self-deception. This is not how healing works. If you are habitually living a sinful lifestyle, it is going to lead to some kind of sickness. And um, don't expect, as a result, 
of uh, when that happens, therefore you can now turn to the Lord and say, Lord, heal me. It doesn't work that way. It's a deliberate choice you've made, and sin has consequences. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. The Bible warns about that. There are consequences to our actions. Uh, so I think this person is uh, totally deluding uh, themselves. And this is, not a, this is a false belief, false conception. And the person need to have eyes salve on their eyes to remove the scales so they can see very clearly that such a lifestyle is going to lead them not to healing, but to destruction. Pastor, do you agree with the saying, sin brings sickness to you? I think, in, in generally speaking, I would say that uh, all sickness, however you look at it, ultimately is a result of our sin, sinful nature. Um, but there's no question about that if you live a certain lifestyle and you sin, uh, chances are you are going to, to get sick. Uh, take the, the problem we have in the Caribbean and not just the Caribbean, globally. We now live in a sexually turbocharged generation where sex is everywhere and pornography has just added fuel to the fire. Yeah. So you've got people that even though you know there's AIDS out there, there's herpes out there, there's chlamydia out there, there's genital warts out there, there are 24 STDs out there that can ruin your life. It doesn't seem to matter to those people. As a matter of fact, I was thinking the other day that whoever hears about AIDS anymore, yeah. right? And that's because they've been able to get certain medication that's able to suppress. But again, it's a miserable life because you have to be taking all of these pills which give you all these side effects. And they never tell you about these side effects. They just give you an idea that you can live a normal life if you just take these tablets, etc., etc. It is misleading the public. And I think that uh, one of the great disservices the medical profession has done to the world is that it seems to be afraid to let people know what the consequences are. Even though you found a solution that helps the problem, let them know what the side effects are because once you tell them that you've solved their problem, they really live reckless lives, etc., etc. The medical profession need to be more responsible to say to people, listen, we have found ways of dealing with this problem, but here are the side effects. So you still have to watch out your lifestyle. That's not what we have today that's happening. So um, I do feel that a lot of sickness that we have is a result of our reckless lives. By the way, such things as take diabetes, a lot of us, um, including myself, was reckless the amount of sugar content we take, the starch we take, you know, we didn't take any careful, uh, and a lot of that too because we were not as health conscious as we are today. Mm-hmm. And um, so even that, we know, and, and by the way, even though some people know that this is the cause of it, they continue recklessly drinking all kinds of soft drinks and all, and it's just going to lead them down to diabetes. I mean, it's going to lead to sickness, no question about that. Other things that we can we can think about uh, that, that cause that. So we've we got to realize that sin and a sinful lifestyle and practicing bad habits lead to sickness in some form or the other. I agree with that statement. Is all sin a result of, of uh, er, excuse me, is all sickness a result of punishment for the sin? That no, I don't think that all sin is a result of punishment because, listen, the body's going to die. And we're given three score in 10 years. So the body begins to deteriorate mm-hmm. after you get into your mid, m- midlife. It just goes down line. You've got to face that as a reality. Most of us are going to live, the average lifespan is 75 years. None of, most of us are not going to get beyond 75. That's a reality. You might live to be 80. Some people might live to be. But how many centurions do we have in Antigua? Like maybe 10? 
mm. out of a population maybe a hundred thousand so it, it's like a one percent or even less than that mm. that becomes part of that so we cannot expect our life expectancy is to be 75 and uh, when you get a certain age the body just begins to deteriorate begin to have problems aches pains the teeth fall out this happens the next thing happens uh, Proverbs uh, sorry the, the book of uh, Ecclesiastes the last chapter gives a wonderful picture of the deterioration of old age and what happens as old age and that's that's a reality and one more question from uh, this listener pastor what about older men in their 70s looking for women 20 to 40 years younger than them yeah this is one of the big problems we have now um, and um, there's no question about it people with money um, uh, they're getting on in age their performance level is beginning to decrease. They're looking for something to thrill them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And remember that if you're not living for God, the only four, three other things you live for: you ever live for pleasure, you live for power, or you live for filthy lucre. Those are the f- three things uh, that that people have, and they go after if you're not living for God. So when a person who is uh, an unsafe person who has money and wealth, and they're getting old, and they realize that they got, have a few years to live. And uh, there's no purpose in life. There's nothing, there's no goal, there's no meaning. They find meaning in pleasure. And of course, the young person now who is looking for opportunity, who is looking for uh, material things, that is dangled before their minds. It might be a car, it might be a, the person has house, they have land. That's the attraction. So you might find a man or an older person in his 70s is attracting 30-year-old people, something even younger than that. Uh, it, it's, it's a, the disparity is, is so clear. And the truth of the matter is, it is just, uh, it's not love. Because it's very, very clear that, you know, uh, a person is in his 70s, uh, two more years uh, before that, generally speaking, in the lifespan is 70. So it can't be that the person has the best interest of the younger person who's in their 30s or in their 40s or in their 20s. It can't be that they have the best interest of that person because they're not going to be able to, to live any kind of longevity. Uh, but you remember also that the Bible makes it clear that in the end times which we are currently living in, there are three great passions that will govern people. The Bible says men should be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So the, the pleasure, passion is there. And then the Bible says men should be lovers of money. That's the word covered just there in that in, in, in Timothy. The word really is, is, is lover of money. And then, of course, he says men should be uh, lovers of themselves rather than God, narcissistic. So when you take self-love, you take uh, pleasure, pursuit of pleasure, and you take uh, material uh, things for material things, you take that combination, you have uh, people who are motivated wrongfully. And as a result of that, they exploit people. And the people who are being exploited are looking for uh, the same thing they're looking for. So you've got misery loves company. And that's what happened in a situation like that. But in most of these cases, these are not meaningful, um, loving, godly relationships. These are just raw, uh, passionate sexual relationships where people are using their material things in order to uh, get um, um, sex, basically, from, from younger people. That's what's been happening, and that's what continues to happen. But that's what happens in society when, when God is forgotten 
and uh, there's no purpose and no meaning, and there's no destiny that people are looking forward to. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die becomes a philosophy. And whoever they exploit in the process, it doesn't matter because ultimately it's about themselves, narcissistic uh, love. That's what the Bible talks about, lovers of themselves. Thank you to the individual who sent in those questions. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air by calling one 268 462-7420 or you can WhatsApp or text it to 1-268-782-1454. Our next question is in relation to a YouTube video that was sent in. It was a YouTube show where there are three individuals and they are conversing and debating whether the Bible is for Africa. One of the titles of the video is what was God doing with Africans when he was writing scripture with another nation? And I've got a two-minute audio clip from the video and then give Pastor an opportunity to comment on the video. It's a fairly lengthy video, so we're only bringing you a short clip. However, we cannot speak about any nation, any continent mm. without the spirituality. Oh, because the spirituality is the foundation mm. of everything. And what I'm noticing is that our spirituality in its own respect is where our biggest problem starts. Mm. We have lost African spirituality. Africans do not even understand what is their spirituality. Mm. And when you look at how it is that Christianity has become a very central player in the, in, in, in the, in, in the uh, spiritual space of Africa, mm. It has actually not brought Africans together, but it has divided Africans. Mm. Because when the Christian comes into the equation, mm. he does not want to speak to the African traditionalist, mm. to the African spiritualist, mm. to the African who doesn't believe in Christianity. Muslims. Automatically, mm. and then with the Muslims who also came onto the continent, and they divided the continent. So the spiritual aspect is becoming tricky for me, especially when the book, the manual of a particular spirituality, be it the Quran or the Bible, come into the equation they begin to cause problems one because people don't understand them two there's a chance that they've been tempered with and three they have got concepts and doctrines that sometimes go against africanism in its own respect mm. but i believe that that's where we need to start mm -hmm. african spirituality must be founded and grounded because spirit mm. is the way that humanity achieves its objectives of the designer mm. When the designer created man, man was created for a purpose, mm. to achieve a certain purpose. Mm. That purpose can only be known by the designer. Mm. And the designer can only speak to man through, through the, the spirit. spirit. Mm. And that is why I do understand this conversation of the Holy Spirit, the Bible, but my spirit, and I'm a Holy Spirit-filled Christian, who has got all these questions that are now conflicting with what it is that I heard in the Christian doctrine. Mm. And the question is, what spirit inside me is beginning to question these doctrines? Perfect. So we've got to find ourselves. Pastor, what are your, and that's just a small snippet, but what you listen to of the video, what is your thoughts? Well, um, I did not get a chance to listen to the entire video, to be honest with you. I listened to some snippets of it. But I, what I think is happening there is what is happening on a global, global level. The... Um, the movement of black nationalism um, is taking a, the forefront of issues today. So what they're trying to do basically 
is trying to say that everything that's African is good, everything that's European. That's what's that's the whole whole gist of the whole thing. So what they're trying to do is to how do we salvage what Africans had and how do we mingle what Africans had with what the Bible teaches? The problem with that is is fundamental. Is this um, all people once had a core knowledge. Man had a core knowledge of the basic fundamental truths of Scripture, uh, creation, etc. You can find in every single folklore or culture, uh, you can find the creation story, you can find the flood, every major culture, basically. So there was a core thing, but it's very clear from the Bible, the Bible teaches, that man got away from that truth, and man turned to idols. Romans chapter 1 explains that very, very carefully. When a new God and they did not honor God, and they turned to idols, etc. That's what happened globally. It happened in Europe, it happened in Africa, it happened in the Far East, every place. Man lost um, that core knowledge because man went after false images, etc., trying to create a God in his own image. The Bible teaches that when that took place, God made a choice to choose uh, a people that he would bring back the true knowledge of God through. Now, the people that God chose was the Jews, and the man that God chose was Abraham. This is where God was now reconnecting uh, fundamental uh, biblical truth so that Israel would become the nation that would spread this knowledge so that this knowledge would go. He had to choose some nation. In his sovereignty, he chose the nation of Israel to be the instrument to preserve biblical truth and to carry that biblical truth throughout the world. That was the whole purpose of the whole thing. Now, <coughs> Israel, let me know, uh, lost sight of that purpose because she became too cocky. She thought that God only loved her and that the Gentiles were hated and despised, etc., etc. And, of course, we know that the Messiah would come through the Jewish people, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, come through David, Jesse, come through uh, Joseph, Mary at the end, so that there's a genealogical line how the Messiah would come. So the promised Messiah that was going to save the world is coming through this Jewish line. <laughs> and um, again, we know that when Christ came, his whole purpose was to die for the sins of the world. But the Jewish didn't understand that. In their view, they're looking for Messiah. Yeah. But they're looking for Messiah that's going to conquer the Roman Empire and set up the Jew to rule the world. So they're looking for a military political solution to their problem. They're not looking at the fact that they're sinful. They're damned. They are so cocky spiritually because they're Abraham's seed. They don't need a Messiah. They don't need a Savior, right? And that's why the Bible said the cross is an offense to the Jew. Because for a Messiah to be hung on the cross, dying by Romans' power, is a disgrace. What kind of a Messiah could he be? Where's his power, right? But they missed the fact that Isaiah 53 had said the Messiah would come, but he would die for the sins. Because man's problem is not political. Man's problem is that man is sinful. He has this alienation between himself and God. So Christ came and he died for the sin, but the Jews rejected him. Right? God now decided to set aside the Jew for a period of time and grafted in the church. This is where the church comes in. And the church mission is the same mission that Israel had, to spread the glad tidings to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what the church is supposed to do, get the glad tidings, preach the gospel. And that's exactly what missionaries have done. The the problem, I think, that um, happened in colonialism and happened with the slave trade, etc., etc., is that a lot of the churches 
in order to reach those people, uh, used the same boat that brought back the slaves to get to those countries. And it would seem as though they did, well, not, they did, they did not speak out against the slave trade. That has colored a lot of how people view Christianity, and we must admit that that is a historical blunder that should never have happened. It did happen, okay? And that is where now, when an African is trying to look at Christianity, how it fits into his culture, it seems to be an alien imposition on his culture. But again, the, the false narrative is that somehow the African religion is of God. Because if you were to read the, the what Africans believe, uh, there's a spirit almost behind every tree. Uh, they the worship ancestors, etc. The same paganism that the Europeans had is the same paganism that the whole world had, including the Africans. So what they have to do is to reject that paganism and turn to biblical Christianity. That's what the Europeans had to do. Remember that when you read the book of Acts, and you've got how God was uh, sending the church to... Um, in the parts of the world we have the Apostle Paul in three missionary journeys Paul went to go east that was his plan to Bithynia and uh, I forgot the other place he wanted to go east the Holy Spirit told Paul don't go east you go west that's how Europe got the gospel and that was not by accident that was by design a sovereign God decided and they knew why because the the culture the language was what was needed to get this message. So, and the, the, the Greek language pervaded the whole world, the Greek culture. So God in his wisdom knew that to get this message throughout the whole world, it had to be, and there's no more precise language than the Greek language. And that's why the New Testament is written in the Greek language. Uh, there's no language like it, quite frankly. But that's by design. The unfortunate thing that has happened is that when the churches started doing missionary work, they got wrapped up politically. And what I mean by that is rather than speak against governments that were doing evil, like the slave trade, they were often very silent. And because they wanted to get to these places to reach those people, they went on the same boats. But it was not to enslave the people. It was to, to give them the message. But that's not how it was perceived. And of course, you've got radical people who are always trying to destroy Christianity and, and belief. And they take history and twist it twist it. So to give the idea that uh, um, the Christianity enslaved Africans, that's not true. Christianity liberated Africans. There would be, be no emancipation without people like Wilberforce and people like, and all of these are Christians who were in Parliament. That's why Nathan and I said sometimes on our radio program, the problem we have today is that we don't have any Christian statesmen. Men who are prepared to put their political career on the line to defend Christian principles. We had that. As a result of that, you had the, uh, the complete eradication of, of slavery. But without those men in Parliament who had Christian principles and were willing to, to go against everything that they were against, that other people against them, but they had guts and character and they had biblical principles that guided their mind. So they were prepared that whether I lose or not, I'm going to stand up for my Christian principles, etc. It's those type of people that led to the conscience of the uh, Europeans, the British Etc. and the Americans eventually, that this is wrong, this is evil, because these men came from it from a biblical perspective that men are made equal, men have dignity, it is wrong to enslave another. And by the way, can I say this? Those who believe in evolution could never have used that argument to 
to cause slavery to be knocked down because what is evolution? The survival of the fittest. So you cannot uh, use evolution to, to condemn anything that happened in the past mm. because that's the order in which it came. You had to develop and develop. It's only Christian principles that enable a man to say, this is wrong. That is, and that's where we are today, by the way. And that's why in the West, even though we've gone away from Christianity, it's the Christian principles that were embedded in those cultures that are now being used uh, against the Christian faith, which is it's just shocking to see uh, the, the, the twisting of, yeah. of, of biblical truth and how it, it is now being used against the church. But uh, <laughs> I don't support the idea that uh, the African need to blend African religion with Christianity. Christianity is completely unique. What we have to do is do the same thing the Europeans had to do. Europeans had their old their gods, too, Thor and all these other gods, these Greek gods. When they got the gospel, they had to they had to lay aside those gods, Mercury and so on, and Zeus and so on and so on, and like embrace Christianity. That what had to happen in Africa. And if he's an African Christian, he should be guided by Scripture. If he said he has the Holy Spirit in him, he should go to Scripture and see if what the African religion is all about. How does it? parallel what the Bible expects. So don't try to blend the two together. You need to take a very firm stand for the Christian principles. But you see, what that is done now is like you don't like your culture, you don't like your race, etc., etc. And that's where the battle is. And I keep saying this, the the answer to this black consciousness problem in Christianity, you had to have black Christian leaders who are Christian throughout and believe the Bible and use their biblical principles to answer those type of people. Because if a black person answers them, there's not as much opposition if a, a European or who's white basically try to provide those kind of answers. And that's why you need to have good Christian writers, you need to have good Christian uh, commentators, good Christian commentators who are black to try to answer these kind of questions because everybody knows seeing things through their spectacles. Mm. And it has to do with the ethnicity or the color, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not what objectivity is about. The Bible is the Word of God, and that must be the standard and the sibyl by which we make decisions and come to conclusions. And the Bible is equally applicable to every ethnic group? Is that every what you're saying? Every single culture, the Bible is applicable. But listen to this. When the Bible goes to any culture, it changes the culture. It transforms the culture, right? Uh, you, wherever you go, you have people who are half-naked and they get the gospel, and they start to read the scripture. You don't even have to tell them they have to dress properly. They begin to understand they've got to dress properly because when Adam said he was naked, God clothed him, showed you that now that sin had entered the world, you had to be modest. That's the general principle, modesty, etc., etc. So it transformed the culture. Uh, it stopped people from, look, when I was in um, St. Vincent, I was pastoring in St. Vincent, uh, the Bible school there, they had a guy from Guyana, I think his name was Feroz Khan, if I'm not mistaken. But he told me this. He, he's coming out from Hindu background. He told me, Pastor, when I was a boy, I used to pray to trees. I used to pray to rivers. Because in the Hindu religion, and uh, I was shocked. I could not believe that in the Caribbean, in Guyana, that this guy uh, actually is practicing paganism. I mean, to my mind, that blew me completely. But then I began to realize that we're living in a world really, you know, because we are exposed to the gospel and through the gospel, we don't understand how dark this world is. But there are many people who, I was in Trinidad some time ago as well, and I saw all these flags. Every house have all these flags, dozens of flags. And I was a little bit confused. I said, but wait a minute, why are these flags here? 
Uh, and then I discovered that every one of those flags is a god, a flag to a god, see, because it's coming out of Hinduism. Yeah. And Hindu has millions of gods, quite frankly. We're still, <coughs> we're still living in a pagan society. And I, I say this, and I'll repeat this. It seems to me that we are now reversing back to the first century. Christianity is at that, that, that point where it has to challenge all of these pagan religions because we are now in the age of neo-paganism. And uh, we don't call them Zeus, we don't call them Mercury, but they're called evolution. They're called materialism. They go by different names, but they're the things that people are pursuing, made them the object. It's called education, uh, intellectualism. These are the, the, the new gods, and because they're not little effigies that you put around your neck, people don't understand, that, but a god is anything you devote yourself to, which you make priority in your life. That's where we are today. We, and the church now has got the great challenge to break down these high thoughts that raise themselves against Christ and pull down these strongholds. That's the mission of the church today. As you are listening these different words and things that could be God's, the, the word of um, equality uh, came to my mind. Could equality become a God in the secular realm as far as? As far as I'm concerned, tolerance, tolerance. is becoming one of the, the major uh, centers where people gather, and that seemed to be the obsession. Yeah, that's probably uh, a better word for yeah, the yeah, conversation yeah. than equality. Equality is nothing wrong with equality, right. right? But God makes distinctions in terms of function. Yeah. For example, men and women are equal before God, but right. functionality is different. A man is the head of the home. A man is the pastor of the church. God has made those distinctions. It doesn't mean that you're not equal. I mean, you can have uh, you can have an executive board. You've got seven people on it, but you have the chief executive officer. It doesn't mean that he is superior. I mean, they're humans alike. All have dignity, but they'll have different functions, they have different roles. Within the Godhead, there's a hierarchy. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that they're unequal in terms of dignity and, and value and status, but it has to do with functionality. The Father plans, the Son executes, and the Holy Spirit applies. They function. And I think in every... But the problem these days is that... Uh, for example, Nathan, a woman cannot be a man. A woman is not a man. She will never be a man, and vice versa, right? So when you put your equality, you've got to try to define that. So and that's the problem. It's an idol now because you're going beyond the biblical parameters that define what equality is about. Equality doesn't mean that a man is a woman and a woman is a man. Equality means that I'm equal in dignity and value before God and made in the image of God. But... I was designed to function different than a man, etc. Et that's why God gave me certain organs. That's why the pelvic bone of a man is different than the pelvic bone of a man. That's why a woman can deliver a baby, a man can't. Right? Yeah. But what we're doing now, we're trying to engineer that. We're trying to play God, quite frankly. We're trying to change what God, the, the lines of demarcation God has made. Man is now trying to uh, play with those things and push back the boundaries, as it were. So now I can give medication, I can do surgery, I can turn you from a man into a woman. Right, but you might do that physically, but you can't do it mentally, and that's the problem these people have. They, 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 they when they get, the, and you know, some of them who've gone through this sexual transformation are now speaking out of how, if they had known uh, this, they would not have done it. And I think in the future, you're going to see countless lawsuits of people, doctors who take these kids and uh, who did surgery. When these kids get older, it's almost like the tobacco industry. Hmm. You've been smoking for so long, then suddenly you've got to pay billions of dollars because it becomes very clear 
that you knew what you're doing was wrong. You're going to see those kind of things happen if the Lord should tarry. Interesting. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have a question, we would love to hear it and to answer it from a biblical worldview. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. If you would rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Or if you're joining us on Facebook, go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and right there in the comment section under or beside the video feed, you can comment your question and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. I have one question in relation to what you were saying earlier where Paul wanted to go east and the Holy Spirit said, no, go west. How would you respond to the individual who says, how was that fair to the people that were east? God didn't care about them? No, but remember that after the, the uh, Paul went west and the church was established, that church went east. You see? So God has to start, God is sovereign. God has to decide. God sees everything. He knows what's the best course. To, and in my judgment, uh, it is very difficult for anybody who believes in the sovereignty of God and the Word of God that could ever doubt that it, God's plan was that the gospel and the writings of the Bible would be in the Greek language and that that would become the instrument of spreading to the ends of the world. It is never an end in, in themselves. That's the problem with the Jew. Because God shows them as the instrument to bring salvation, they just figure that they would end in themselves. But it is very, very clear that they were means to a greater end, the redemption of all humanity. That's the thing with the church. So even though the church in its, in its core development was in, in Europe, out of that came where it sent out missionaries to all different parts of the world. And by the way, could I say this, Nathan? When the church in the West, in Europe, in the 18th and the 19th century, uh, began to question the Bible and went into apostasy, it shifted to America. I don't know if you realize that. And America became the main agent, and still today, of sending missionaries. It used to be Europe. It used to be uh, England. But when they began to lose faith, it went over to America. And America is still the major sending agency in the world in terms of missions concerned. Now you notice that America is losing it because of the progressive politics and the corruption that is there. And it seems to me that that is shifting to different parts of the world, like even the Middle East, like uh, Korea, yeah, big South churches, Korea. And, and, and South America, et cetera, et cetera. It seems as though that is, and that's the value of missions, by the way, that if you stay in one location, the church apostatizes, mm. where do you turn to? But missions allow that the gospel that was so excited at the beginning now goes to this. So when this begins to deteriorate, they take over. It's a, a marvelous thing that without missions, the church would have gone long, long time ago. And that's the value of missions, that you get the gospel out. And those churches that were greatly supporting at one time that began to deteriorate and apostatize, these new churches now became the lights to carry on the gospel. And that is a great segue into our discussion as we await your question. Again, you can call and ask your question by calling 268-462-7420. I'm going to give that to you again. I realized partway through that number, I was reading it very fast. To speak live on the air, call 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268 
782-1454. Until we get your question, we are going to continue the topic the pastor was discussing over the last month or so, that of biblical apostasy. Pastor, what is apostasy? Well, apostasy basically is the church falling away from the core truths of Christianity and uh, turning away from uh, biblical morality. You'll find that as the church moves away from biblical truth, morals deteriorate. So it normally starts with your doctrine and your belief system that you begin to turn away from the core fundamental truths of Scripture. and You surrender those, and once you surrender those, everything begins to deteriorate. So what is happening is that Christianity is be, be, being eviscerated by forces that are without and forces within. The outside forces that are undermining Christianity is basically secularism, uh, humanism, uh, political progressivism today for sure, and no and no question liberalism and, and, and modernism. And you would add the, 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 the great uh, uh, thrust now with uh, atheism as well. These are forces that are launched in barrages of attack against the faith and against biblical Christianity. These are the outside forces. But they're also inside forces, what you call the fifth column. These are liberal, modernist theologians uh, and all kinds of false teachers and false preachers who are either diminishing the gospel, denying the gospel, or they even disdain with great contempt uh, biblical Christianity. And this apostasy is eaten away from the inside like a cancer of the church so that eventually the church is not only losing its uh, moral, its, its, its doctrinal foundations, but it's now using, losing its also f- uh, moral foundations. Um, so you've got these external forces, and you have these uh, internal subversive forces that are at work in the church. And this is what basically uh, is happening with the church. And this apostasy is the fifth column within the church that is defected from the faith and is now undermining uh, Christianity. Let me say this. There are apostates who turn away from the faith and leave the church. Right. That's not the problem. The problem is those who turn away from the faith but remain in the church and try to undermine every biblical doctrine. These are the people who have taken over the biblical seminaries, uh, the the Bible schools, etc. They don't only now not uh, no longer believe in Christianity, but they're not content to leave it there. They want to undermine all the Christian institutions, etc., etc. For example, take Yale. You take Harvard University. You take any major university in, in America today that used to be the leading in the vanguard of biblical Christianity. All your major institutions, universities, were founded to, to train pastors, including Harvard and Yale and Princeton. You know, all of those were founded to train pastors. Where are they today? Uh, exact opposite. The complete undermining of biblical Christianity. That's what's happening, right? And uh, so that is what the apostasy is all about. It's not just that uh, these people are... No, they turn it back on Christianity. These are people who are positively trained to destroy and undermine biblical Christianity, and that is happening on a global scale in every single major denomination. You have the apostates who are trying to destroy Christianity, and that's the great battle that we have today. It's called the fifth column that is working secretly, uh, subtly, and surreptitiously to destroy uh, song doctrine and destroy uh, song biblical morals. So what you call apostasy, maybe someone else says, we're just now more enlightened and understand what true Christianity and Christian love is. How would you respond? It's a simple answer. 
The Bible is a standard. If we don't, if we get away from the Bible, uh, we're always going to. We don't have answers. But you've been misinterpreting the Bible. You've been taking it too literal, and you've got to really understand what the authors meant. It's a living text. Well, the, the, the simplest answer to that, by the way, is the average person using normal intelligence. You let him read what you read, and you let him interpret. You see that the average person will tell you that this is what the Bible teaches. It's the man who is a scholar who is bent on destroying faith, is bent on destroying the integrity of the Bible, is the problem. Any average person reading the Bible know one thing. Marriage is between a man and a woman. I don't have to tell anybody that. A man is not a man. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. I don't have to tell anybody that. Lying is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Fornication is wrong. Homosexual is wrong. Right? The people who have changed the people's mind today is not the secular person. It has to do with a lot of these so-called Christians who are now coming out with twisted interpretations that are misleading the average man who before understood to take the Bible very literal and understood that this is what biblical... Mor- so these are people who are undermining the faith. But we don't have to uh, argue and debate about their interpretation of it. It's, uh, and by the way, think about this for just a moment. Christianity is almost 2,000 years. Right. Okay. Every commentary, every Christian before then, knew that what a man was, a woman, what marriage was. You mean to tell me in this day of final apostasy is the only day that we can interpret the Bible that way? Hmm. That doesn't make... So the church was misled for 2,000 years? By who? And then these people who claim to be scholars, who clearly have a, an agenda that's contrary to Scripture, see... They need to be exposed to what they are. They're just fraudulent apostates who uh, are hateful of Christianity, hateful of God, and they just need to be told to their face. That's what they are. They are fakes. That's what they are. We're talking about biblical apostasy. The name of the program is That's Truth. And this is not just a one-way program for you to listen. This is an interactive program, opportunity for you to ask questions, multiple ways you can ask your questions. You can join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then in the comment section while you're listening to the program and watching behind the scenes, you can comment your question. It'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. So you defined what apostasy is, but how is what's happening today in the church in this apostasy, how is it different from former times in church history, or is it different? Yeah. I want to quote a statement that was made by Dr. Dwight Pentecost. He's wrote, wrote the book, Things to Come, Okay, uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I think he's dead, deceased now, but he made an interesting statement, and I just want to quote that statement. Um, he said, look, in the period of church history known as the Dark Ages— Men were ignorant of the truth. Okay. okay. But never was there an age when men openly denied and repudiated the truth. This phenomenon has never been as prevalent as it is today. See the difference? It was a matter of ignorance. Hmm. It's no longer a matter of ignorance. These are people who are deliberately, see, we've never had that kind of challenge. Uh, within the Christian faith before. And that's where it is so unique today, right? So you have men in the pulpit uh, who don't believe the virgin birth, who don't believe in creation, who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, who don't believe in miracles, 
who believe that Adam and Eve were a myth, and the Garden of Eden was a myth, who believe in evolution. Now, can you imagine uh, a person like that being the pastor of a church? No. But that is very common. And it's a common in most of the major denominations. But not only that, Nathan, add to that. Can you imagine uh, a pastor solemnizing uh, uh, a, uh, a marriage between a man and a man in a church no. and giving God's blessing and a woman and a woman? But that's what's happening. See, that has never, never in church history ever happened before. So that is where it's, it's so uniquely different that these people are bold-faced deceptive apostates who have no interest in God whatsoever, but rather than leave the church, they are eviscerating the church and destroying the church. And the thing about it is that the people in the church don't seem to have the discernment to tell them that they need to leave. And the reason why that happens sometimes, by the way, is that the people who own the church, it's the denomination that owns the church, see? And that is uh, one of the great perils of our day. Of course, in independent Baptist churches, the, ch- the church people own the property, they own the church. So if the pastor comes up there one morning and says, we're going to solemnize uh, a wedding between two mayors, he wouldn't last another day because the property, everything is vested in the people in the church. See, And that's where denominationalism is so dangerous because the property is vested in it. And sometimes the denomination, by the way, is an overseas organization that owns the property. So the people are uh, uh, captive, as it were. And the only solution to that problem is leave the church. Leave so the church. you're referencing in general terms uh, denominations and apostasy and false teachings uh, as far as not believing in the virgin birth and so on and so forth. Can you share with us some proof of this apostasy, maybe from specific denominations or from quotes that individuals have made? I'm going to do that, Nathan, but allow me to do one other thing. I want to give you another quote. Uh, This is a quote from William Booth. Okay. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. And um, he predicted before he died that the gospel would not fare well in the 21st century. Uh, This is what he said. He said uh, he predicted that by the end of the 20th century, many of the churches would be preaching Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. That's exactly where we are. He was a prophet, in a sense. I mean, he saw that, right? Do you know Um, what year he said that? uh, Well, he died in uh, 1912. Hmm. So that gives you an idea of how he was just going into the 20th, 20th century. He yeah. saw the trend, right, yeah. that was happening. And remember that rationalism, German rationalism, started in the 18th and the 19th century. That's where people started undermining Christianity, the Bible saying that Moses didn't write this book, and uh, number one, Moses could not have written because there was no writing. By the way, all of those are in books that people read today. And it has been discovered subsequently that hundreds of years before Moses existed, men could write and wrote books, etc., etc. But what has happened, the false teachers who have been into schools, who were taught that material, have not advanced, they have not followed up. So they're still saying the same thing, that Moses could not write, write, the, write, the, write the book that he wrote. So they are really intellectually ignorant because they don't want to be informed, because they have to change the ideology and perhaps retract on some of the things that they've said before. But they're pride in their conceit. Uh, keep holding and keep advocating and repeating and regurgitating and parroting the same thing again and again. The unfortunate thing is that because people today are not readers, 
the average Christian is not a reader, when they hear something like that in the, in, in the internet or on, uh, they just think it is true. See, there's no answer to that, and that's one of the values of having uh, the internet and Facebook, etc. That you have freedom and liberty, but it's also if you're not a reading person, you're not a discerning person, you can be really quickly misinformed and believe that this is this is true, and that's one of the dangers. But I thought it was fascinating uh, because that's where we are today. Yeah, people are teaching Christianity, but your commitment to Christ and your loyalty to Him, you can have be a Christian and still not believe that Christ was God. You can still not believe that he's God's son. You can still believe that he was not a virgin birth. But yet, you, you're still, still in the church. And then the idea of forgiveness without repentance. That's where we are. Come to Jesus. Tell Jesus, come into your heart. We're not calling people to repentance. That's where we are. As a matter of fact, we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about repentance because we offend people. The way to get them is to say something positive. Forgiveness. But there's no forgiveness without repentance. And then, of course, salvation without regeneration. Regeneration is a change of heart, a change of life. It's becoming a new creature. So any man can claim to be a Christian because he went forward in the church service and bowed his head and said, Jesus, come into my heart. He's a Christian, but nothing has changed. He's not being regenerated. Number one, his spirit did not work in his life to bring it to that point of conviction. See, uh, Maybe the music in the church and the past, and that's what they do in the churches, when the interest is beginning to wane, they start playing the do, 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 stir people's emotions, tell them a, a, a sad story to come forward. But it's not the spirit that's brought in. The, and then, of course, the other one, heaven without hell. Everybody's going to heaven. How many people you hear talking about hell these days? Yeah, it doesn't exist. God is love. Yeah. God is love. Not that God is holy, but God is love. This man clearly had uh, a purpose gift vision. He could see. Here at the time, and his statements, uh, it's like we're living in the day he saw it a hundred years before it really happened. That's where we are today. So, what is some proof or evidence of what you're saying? Well, um, I want to deal with um, certain denominations. It's going to take a while, uh, we're going to have to have one or two series, but I want to talk about what's happening in the Anglican Church. I want to talk about what's happening in the Episcopalian Church. No, the Episcopalian Church is the American branch of the of the Anglican Church. Okay. Okay. The Episcopalian Church separated from the Anglican Church during the Civil War. Okay. It used to be the Anglican Church, but uh, that's what happened as a result. But it's the same thing. It's the American version of the Anglican Church. I also want to talk about the United Methodist Church. They have a different head of the church? The Episcopalian and the Anglican have two different heads? Yeah, because okay. the Episcopalian Church is completely American. There's, okay. no, there's no titular head that the Queen is the head of the, the, uh, the Church of England, right? And then, of course, I want to talk about the, the, the Presbyterian Church. And I, I can't leave out, of course, the Baptist Church as well, because I don't want people to think that we're just targeting uh, these denominations and forget that also. They're, they're, but there are others as well that we can talk about. And the Lutheran Church, I want to talk about that as well. Uh, beginning with the, the Anglican Church, um, the Anglican Church is largely taken over by uh, modernism. A large percentage of their bishops and their pastors uh, are now modernists. And I want to say modernist, Nathan, I don't mean that they are up to date with new technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Modernism is a rejection of biblical Christianity. When you hear modernism or liberalism, it means this. Uh, the Bible is not inspired. It means this. It means that Jesus was not a virgin birth. It means this. It, he, there was no resurrection. As a matter of fact, there was no real atonement. They actually believe that 
And I'll give you a quote sometime later that a man said, I can't serve a God who would allow his son to suffer. There's wow. a pastor. There's a bishop. Making that undermines <laughs> Christianity at Complete. its core. So that's what a modernist is. He, he's in the church. Uh, and I ask myself, but why is he in the church? Because the church has become a social gathering for people to deal with, come to deal with social issues. And of course, a man is a, a spiritual being. So uh, to come together and just sing songs, etc. But when it comes to doctrine, you know, if you deal with morals and f- fixing up society and being good and doing good, it's become a, a social club that's more about humanitarian service than it is about uh, serving God and and having a spiritual regenerated life. That's what it is. But um, the Anglican Church is one that puzzles me greatly. Uh, and I want to do some, do some quotes um, f- uh, from some of the leaders. Uh, Robert Runcie, uh, who was the former Archbishop of Canterbury, in 1982 in an interview. Now remember that he is the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's the highest spiritual leader in the Anglican Church in England. You can't get any higher than that. The queen and then this person. The queen is the the um, the female. national head, the female okay. head, the governmental head of the, the church. But the spiritual head of the church is is the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. In an interview, um, when asked about the cross and what the cross meant, uh, he said that um, he was an agnostic in regards to the cross. In other words, he's not too sure why there's need for the cross. Now, can you imagine the leader of, a, of the Anglican Church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, is saying he is not too sure about Christ dying on the cross and why this death was necessary and how, how this death relates to human redemption. But this is the most cardinal, central uh, theme of the Bible. Yeah. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about, revel- it's about salvation, God bringing the Messiah to say. But when you have the head of the church now saying... I'm not too sure about this thing. How can you be the head of the church? And by the way, uh, I think they're like, uh, I was reading about uh, 141 million Anglicans. So he's the head of these, these, all of these uh, Anglicans, etc., etc. How is that possible? How could I stay in a church like that where my spiritual head is telling me that he's not too sure about the cross? Uh, I, <laughs> It bamboozles me. Could be honest with you, it is total. I could not stay in a church like that, yeah. right? And that's what. But again, I can't understand why. I am. I suppose part of it is that people in the Caribbean may not be aware of the level of apostasy because we are in a third world country, and to a great extent, uh, a lot of our pastors, even within those churches, still believe the Bible, but. Those who are pastors and bishops within the Caribbean should be aware because they're part of the process of appointing this person. Right? They should be aware and they should have that man removed. They should have had a revolt where the, the Caribbean churches came out of that. Something should have been done, but he could not have remained the leader there for so many years and hold to that position. Uh, also in the same interview in 1982, this was in the Sunday Times Weekly Review in April 11, 1982, he said that uh, he felt that Buddhism is a proper way to God and that Christians should not say that uh, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. That right there should be a red flag. <laughs> no, I mean, clearly, Nathan. I mean, 
how could you be the head of the church? Yeah. And why did not the churches revolt against that and pull out? You can't be silent when uh, the issue of salvation is at stake. Okay. David Jenkins, um, who is uh, a bishop, Bishop David Jenkins as well, uh, he uh, openly questions every major teaching in the Bible. When asked about the resurrection, uh, he said that no Christian is bound um, up with the freakish biology of corpses getting and walking around. I mean, so you don't believe in the resurrection. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't have a gospel. What's the gospel? Paul said in Corinthians chapter 15 that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised from the dead. So how can you be a bishop of a church and remain within the denomination? And you are saying that uh, to say that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is freakish biology, and we don't have to hold to that. Again, he should have been defrocked. He should have been removed. See, I could not be part and parcel of a person making those kind of statements and holding that kind of position. What is he teaching his people? He has no gospel for them. So the people who are in his service, Sunday after Sunday, and believe in a Christ who was never resurrected, there's no hope for people like that. There's no salvation for people like that. There's no gospel there. So he's deceiving the people, but yet he is the spiritual head, and there's no opposition that he be called down or removed or defrocked. This is the kind of thing that I am talking about, that this apostasy has gotten into these major denominations. And I think it's the lay people, the, the layman, the ordinary man, who may not be aware of what is happening in the church. And the other thing, Nathan, is don't be misled because a man in the pulpit is using biblical terminology. Uh, what happens a lot of times when they use the word God and the word uh, God made and God, they don't mean what you and I mean. They have injected new meaning into these words, but they're using Christian words to mislead people. They're, they're playing a semantic game with people. So when they talk about heaven and about hell, they're not the same heaven and hell you're talking about. When they talk about salvation, it's not the salvation you're talking about. See, So that, <laughs> this is why um, the people need to be informed of what really is happening in these major denominations. To develop that a little, so you referenced God made, are you saying they might be referencing uh, theistic evolution? Yeah, not only that, when you say God made, they mean God made by the process of evolution. That's what they okay. mean. So I'm listening to you, but I am not discerning that's your idea of what you're, you're telling me. And unless I have a personal conversation with you, no, explain to me what you mean by that. Do you mean that God literally created man and woman, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, and you might discover that he might say there was an Adam, there was an Eve. But these are not true historical figures. These are mythological figures that teach some spiritual truth. See? Mm. But when you undermine the historicity of Christ, historicity of Christ and, and Eve, you undermine the historicity of Jesus Christ. Because in Romans chapter 5, uh, Paul used a parallel between Adam and, and Christ. So if Adam was a myth, Christ becomes a myth. See, Is there a biblical basis for me or you asking these kind of questions to our church leaders, uh, is there a biblical principle for that? Well, I, I think that um, everybody should be able to give a reason for the hope that's in them. And if I have a spiritual leader, I need to make sure that he is leading me in the right direction to the right destiny. So if I have reservations, for example, suppose I was an Anglican, which I'm not, and I'm becoming aware that this is what is happening in my church. 
I certainly would want to have a private meeting with my pastor to say, Pastor, we need to have a talk. Could we have a talk? And um, I have some concerns. What are my concerns? I, I want to be very sure that we're on the same wavelength. When you talk about God, what God are you talking about? When you talk about salvation, what do you mean by salvation? When you talk about um, creation or God made, what do you mean by that? Because unless you can pigeonhole these people and hear from their mouth what they're saying, the language is biblical language. Uh, and they have learned the biblical cliches. But by injecting different meaning into their words, it keeps you disarmed that they're using words but have different meaning and you can be easily deceived. So in the last 30 seconds, if I'm a part of a church and I don't know for sure what my pastor believes on these topics, you're saying have a pri- start with a private meeting and ask him yeah, these I, questions. Uh, yeah, let me just quickly, don't try to embarrass your pastor publicly. Mm-hmm. Even if he's an apostate, have a private meeting and discuss these things with him. We will continue this topic next week, Lord willing. Continue to keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.